Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast. The VGB Act was a big deal when it came out over 10 years ago. Have you been keeping track of the expiration dates of drain covers that were installed back then? If not, you will want to listen to the CMAC on this episode of the Pool Pro Podcast. Excited to have Dewey here today. Dewey Case is the Technical Director for the Council of the Bottle Aquatic Health Co., CMAC. And Dewey, thanks so much for coming on today to talk about this really important topic about covers and expired covers and the VGB Act. We're really excited to have you today. Welcome. Great. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Kevin. Glad to be here. Yes. And tell us a little bit, so for those people who don't know, everybody should know what the Model Aquatic Health Code is, but they may not know what CMAC actually does. So Dewey, can you just give us a little bit of a description here about what CMAC is actually doing for the industry? That'd be great. Yeah, Sure. So CMAC was formed around 2014 um, as a, a separate entity, a nonprofit mechanism that's goal was supporting the CDC in the MAC. Um, you know, obviously when you start talking about federal regulation, anything federal, uh, it comes with a certain amount of, uh, of loopholes to jump through. Um, and to make sure that the MAC stayed updated uh, and stayed uh, accurate with today's science and best practices. That was one of the big formations of CMAC was to help facilitate that process and make those recommendations to CDC. Very good, yes. So it's very important association. We'll talk about membership at the end of this because if you're not a member of CMAC, I would highly recommend that you become a member. It's not expensive. We'll talk about that at the end, but it's a way to help support the federal re regulation side and to support the CDC and what they're trying to accomplish. So really today, do we want to talk about the VGB Act and really about the covers? Because even though this is this happened quite a few years ago, 10 or 11 years ago now, we want to talk about the covers and, you know, expiration of covers and replacement of covers. I'm not sure anybody's talking about that. So can you give us a, little, a brief update of really what happened with the VGB and, and what happened back in 2009 when this it was implemented, what, how that was important for the swimming pool industry? Sure. Well, you know, the Virginia Grand Baker Act, named after uh, the daughter, a granddaughter rather, of uh, James Baker, who was, uh, I believe it was President uh, Bush's, H.W. Uh, Bush's, uh, one of his cabinet members, right? Um, right. So his granddaughter was the victim of a suction entrapment. And so after that, um, in conjunction with Debbie Washerman Schultz out of Florida uh, and a couple of other um, officials, uh, the Virginia Grand Breaker Act was born, right? So the big thing with this act, and it was revolutionary, and it definitely uh, was controversial, and it definitely caused a lot of ripples throughout the industry. Uh, but basically, this whole act is designed around protecting suction entrapments. We, even before this act, we have heard of individuals, especially in smaller wading pool type pools uh, that had very, very horrible injuries uh, from getting sucked to drain covers. You know, for a long time, lifeguards were recommended carry a pocket knife, you know, just in case uh, someone's hair got trapped into a drain, right? So uh, when, after this tragic incident with, with young Miss Baker, um, the Consumer Safety Products Commission uh, and others uh, started working together to create this standard that improves safety uh, across the board. 
Um, it right. was revolutionary in that uh, it's one of the few federal legislations that cover swimming pools in its entirety. You know, when we look at everything else, we look at OSHA, we look at some of these other things, they're broad across a, a wide variety of industries. And this one is very, very specific. Uh, so yeah. it's one of the first, if not the first, that's that specific to the swimming pool industry. Um, so the other kind of thing that made this revolutionary was that every public and semi-public pool had to conform and they had a deadline. And uh, so all of these facilities had to effectively go in and update their drain covers, update their design practices. Pools that were in the middle of construction had to be re-engineered for their drain covers. All of these old pools that were built during WPA uh, in the early 50s that had these really, really, you know, what we would consider odd construction practices now, they all had to be retrofitted. And this was a massive, massive impact upon the industry that uh, caused a, a, a massive, massive ripple effect. Uh, some, I think it was Motel 6 chain, I believe, uh, in order to be compliant, they just filled in their pools. And right. got rid of their pools. So Which is unfortunate, really, but... Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So really, really interesting stuff that came, came out of it. Uh, definitely an improvement in aquatic safety, uh, but it, it certainly caused some ripples. Yes. So the thing too that happened when this all went about, so then they had, we had to wait a period to actually get covers that were in compliance with the act. And they had certain manufacturers that came out with certain covers. And, and I think there was even a recall of some of those covers and different things that went on. So it was, it was certainly a period where everybody was trying to meet the standard or meet the, um, the code. And then, you know, you had the issues with the covers and different things. So that's, I think, important because right now, those folks who implemented these covers or put these covers in or installed them all this time, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was, what should they be concerned about now? Because I think there's an issue where, are, are, you know, people keep being, are they staying on top of the, the covers and do they expire? Uh, have they expired? They've never been replaced. Do they keep good records? You know, the model numbers and different things. So could you talk about that? Because I think that's important, Dewey. For service guys and you know builders, I think Kevin, you, you pretty much do backyard pools. I think, yeah. But um, but I think even backyard pool builders are are um, you know are being compliant with this act. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. But I yeah. but it's it brings up a good point because we we don't we don't most of the time we we don't really have a lot of contact with the client after we leave. So somebody yeah. else has got to manage that 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 expectation of, of when the, the covers expire and need to be replaced right and so yes it's, it's very important the pool guys are aware of it as well so yeah can you speak to that Dewey? what should be we sh what should we be concerned about at this point for for those pools that have already had the covers installed well the the big thing is going to be the the replace by day the expiration day so in the mad rush to to get these covers out and become compliant, um, what can typically happen, and, and, and let me clarify, my, my frame and my lane, so to speak, is commercial venues, right? Yeah. So recreation, the, the, the public pools, semi-public pools, a little bit less with the, with the backyard pools. Right. But as Kevin mentioned, yeah, backyard folks are doing this too. Yeah. Right. Um, so in the mad rush, uh, everyone got their drains installed and upgraded and uh, where it was applicable, they installed vacuum release systems. Uh, but 
when we look at turnover rates, right? So how long does aquatic management stay? How long does leadership stay? Who's holding the paperwork, right? Expiration dates tend to have gotten forgotten about. And, and, and these rates do expire. Um, and the expiration date is from the date of installation, which makes it a little bit more confusing, right? Uh, so it's not just from 2008. You could have a grape that's been sitting on the shelf for five years. But as long as it's been sitting on the shelf, it's still good, right? It's from the installation date, uh, and that's the expiration. Right. So for these pools, so for anybody that's had covers, and when you say semi-public, I'm assuming you're talking about motels and apartment communities and that type of thing? Right, yeah. yeah. HOAs, things of that nature. Yes. These pools that would still fall under uh, the health department and the inspection process, but you can't just walk up and just, you know, pay a gate fee and use the pool, right? right. So a, a public pool would be, you know, your community pools, uh, your city pools. They would be a water park where you buy a pass to get in. Uh, your semi-public would be your hotel, motel, your country club pools, your HOA pools. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people that listen to this podcast, service or currently builders that are building pools, whether they be a semi-public or a backyard pool, I'm assuming, and then Kevin, you can speak to this as well. I'm assuming that a builder would take the documentation for all of the, everything that's been installed and all the equipment and that, and then they give it to the homeowner and then the service guy is able to look at that as well. Is that how the transition works? Can you speak to that? That's how we do it. We we yeah. we put together a package on a flash drive that includes all manuals, um, installation okay. dates, uh, model numbers, and and um, uh, warranty information. And that way, it's it was serial numbers as well, so it's easy to refer to when they need to for those things. So right. And then for commercial side, they should have that documentation, like you said, Dewey, somewhere. Hopefully. You know, even with a management change or a leadership change, you would hope that those documents are stored somewhere where they can review it. So I guess what is the recommendation? And I think we should have a recommendation for service guys and for builders and the commercial industry um, to find out, you know, what should they be doing to make sure they're staying in compliance and protecting those that are using the pool? Yeah, sure. Well, there's a couple of really, really easy things, right? Uh, one is just tracking your expirations, right? Uh, so, you know, as Kevin mentioned, a flash drive is a really good idea yeah. with today's technology, cloud-based servers are a really good idea. A lot of times with large facilities, you might have a shared drive or a server that you can upload things to. So, you know, take this installation documents and, and every time a drain is covered, the, the cover is changed, there should be an installation document, right? Whether uh, you're doing it yourself uh, or as a facility or with your maintenance crews doing it. Or, and honestly, I would recommend probably farming this out and having a service company come in, right? Yeah. Because that way you get just this extra layer of protection rather than your aquatics director, your maintenance guy trying to dive it and change the drains, change the drains rather. Um, but, you know, keep this document, you know, this form that I will have, as Kevin mentioned, the serial number, the model number, all of those lovely details. Uh, scan it, right? upload it to whatever digital documentation source you have, and then make sure that you don't just put the original paperwork in a file, make sure it's somewhere where your public health inspector, your pool inspector can access it, make sure it's somewhere to where if there's a change in leadership, it doesn't get actually thrown, it doesn't get accidentally thrown away. Make sure there's some sort of continuity there for that drain cover. Um, and just as a, a little pro tip too, 
right? You can even find somewhere in the pump room. And if you just want a real easy, quick um, uh, visual reference, right? Yeah. Take a Sharpie and right next to your chemical controller, right next to the, the pump, the filter, wherever you have your logs, just write when it was changed. You know, that's yeah. a real easy one that gives you that great visual reference. So you wind up with a, a couple of different uh, reminders rather to help ensure that these drains are getting uh, changed out, you know, on a regular basis per the, the drain cover, right? So that's kind of number one. Number two is we can't forget the, the all important visual inspections. All the documentation in the world is great, but making sure that you're looking at your drain covers, making sure that uh, just in your visual inspections, either as a facility, as facility maintenance, or a service guy, you know, is it in place? Are all the screws there, right? Uh, is the, the drain cover cracked? You know, those are real easy things. Uh, yeah. And if you're hopping in the pool to do a, uh, to do any sort of maintenance work, right? Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, diving to fix a, a piece of, of tile that may have popped up, taking a pumice stone and scrubbing away a little black algae that it may have built, throw some goggles on, dive down, and just do a visual inspection, you know, while you're wet. That's a really, really good thing to do as well. And then don't forget about the vacuum release systems. That's an easy one to really, really get overlooked. Um, a lot of these systems now are aging. Uh, some that were originally installed when Virginia Grand Baker Act passed uh, are now no longer in business, you know. So make sure that your vacuum release systems, uh, if you need it, uh, are operating. Uh, make sure that uh, they're, they're working appropriately, right? Uh, and one way to do that is, you know, let's take a spa, for example, where the main drains are closer than three feet. You have two BGB compliant main drains, but because of the distance, they still have to have a vacuum release system, right? We wouldn't see that on a large, you know, 25 meter pool, 50 meter pool, right? Uh, but when nobody is in, and that's important, just when you're doing your regular maintenance, find some time, close off one of the drains and just see if that triggers the vacuum release system because it's important right. to make sure those operate as well. And that's one of those little things that kind of nobody ever thinks of. That's a really, really right. good thing. So, you know, in addition to looking at your vacuum release system too, um, you know, take advantage of when you drain your pools. You know, a lot of facilities do an annual drain and clean, whether it be startup before the season or just an annual maintenance or in some cases code requires it. So while it's drained, you know, go ahead and do a visual inspection or even pre-plan. That's a really, really great time to, to change your covers out. The big thing is be proactive. You know, you don't want this to sneak up on you. You don't want this to be last minute. Um, because it may not be an overnight thing, right? So you don't want your local pool inspector coming in, uh, asking for this documentation, asking for when your drains were changed last, your covers were changed last, and then issuing a closure because you're not compliant. You know, then you right. might be facing, you know, a one week, two week or longer, depending on uh, your configuration, uh, closure. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin, did you have any questions in regards to the builder side as, as, and things that you were thinking about in regards to this? I, I was thinking about one thing is, is about uh, if this is all of a sudden being come, come brought to light to the public now, um, that uh, have the manufacturers been thinking about this and are, have they, are they prepared for a sudden surge in sales 
Because lately, because of COVID, we, we've been having difficulties acquiring materials from manufacturers because of shutdowns at factories and things like that. So, um, so that's a little concerning that, you know, all of a sudden we're getting ready to plaster pool and we can't find the covers that we need. You know? yeah, right. Yeah. That's an even bigger reason just to be proactive. Is that, right. you know, yeah. That, yeah, the COVID-19 pandemic, it's thrown everything in arrears for manufacturing. Um, and that's, you know, normally I would say, yes, the manufacturers are 100% ready, uh, but we don't know how the pandemic has impacted their supply chain. Uh, so even right. better reason to be 100% proactive, you know, start figuring this thing out now. You know, if, uh, if you don't have the documentation, right, you can bring someone in to dive the pool, uh, to check the expiration dates, see, you know, and all that fun stuff, um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, even on the drain covers, it just says replace by. So if you don't know that date that you were installed, be proactive, change it. Right. In grand, grand scheme of things for swimming pools, these are not the most expensive things you're going to buy unless you have to have a custom manufactured drain. Uh, most pools can use off the shelf parts. When in doubt, change it. And then correctly document and then move forward to where you're on the ball with that, with uh, with code compliance. Do you think the manufacturers have been communicating with the folks that bought these covers to to let them know when they expire? Or is that not something they're doing? Do you know? It's really not something they're doing per se, okay. you know, mainly because, and, and let me say this, right? The manufacturers are good about trying to put out information to, to educate the communities and educate uh, the, the end user and the facilities, right? But, what happens a lot of time is you have a manufacturer that they build the covers, but then it's ordered through a third party, right? You know, mm -hmm. your local pool company may, uh, your pool guy may order it from his supplier who may be two or three links down the chain from the manufacturer. So it's just really impractical for manufacturers to keep track of every facility. Uh, it's really, you know, that falls under the facility itself ultimately. But, you know, this is where, you know, the service professional can really set themselves apart from everyone else, you know, and coming in and saying, you know what, uh, we're a top-notch crew. We're going to document this for you. We have it, and we'll keep you updated when it needs to be changed. So it's a yeah. really good place where service companies can just shine in, in how they maintain, you know, their, their pools and their, comp their contracts. Yeah. So part of that Absolutely. to me too is is not just a matter of checking the date that's stamped on the cover, but also verifying the GPM that it's rated for. Uh, those those covers are designed to have a specific line velocity, and and that's something Virginia Graham Baker law is not just about covers and and uh, dual drains or unblockable drains, but it's also about the velocity of the water, the gallons per minute going through that drain. Uh, the compliance is a huge part of that. So uh, going back and verifying that it was done right, going back and verifying, well, did it have a, a one horsepower pump and somebody replaced it with a two or did somebody put a variable speed and, and what is it set at? So going back, really don't just two screws and change the cover, uh, look at the whole system. This is a great time to revisit the entire job and make sure it was done right to begin with and that it's still right now. Right. 
And just following up on what Dave said, you know, one thing that kind of I've snuck in there is uh, Virginia Graham Baker has been updated, um, I think in 2017 for um, uh, APSP 16. And, mm -hmm. you know, now it's no more, it's no longer just changing the cover, right? So uh, the cover that you used to have originally that you purchased in 0809, uh, if you haven't changed it yet, or even one that you changed in 14, it may not be appropriate now with some of the new design specs. So even more important, just, you know, uh, to, to make sure we're proactive in we're, what we're doing and make sure uh, that uh, we're, we're getting steps ahead versus last minute. Absolutely. Uh, do, do we? Uh, is, there, is there any requirement? Sorry, Kevin. Uh, just real quick while we're on this topic, though, is there any, um, do you know of any requirements? Do we have to go back to the health department and reapply uh, for permits when we change these covers back out? Are they going to want to look at it again? Or is that just uh, each individual health department? We, we need to know how they handle it. Yeah, that's going to be an individual health thing. And that's where, you know, make friends with your health inspector. A yes. lot of times there gets to be such a, um, you know, I say a lot of times, it may not be quite that extravagant or that over the top, but in some cases I'll say, there are times where we wind up with this awful uh, uh, argument or uh, disruption, uh, disagreement, or just this butting heads, right? Uh, with the health department, the health inspector, and the facility and the service company, right? This is where friendships, relationships absolutely matter, right? You need yes. to know your pool inspector. You need to talk with them. They need to be in your back pocket as far as a phone call away uh, and to where, you know, you can keep them in the loop on things. And, and you're right, Dave, in that every health department uh, in every state, every uh, locality, uh, could be different. So some may require permits, others don't. Some have really, really uh, detailed code like Florida and Texas. Some uh, have very, very minimal code. So, and also uh, pursuant to what you were talking about there, Dewey, uh, to put, throw in a shameless plug, we did a great podcast a few months ago with Lauren Vroom on exactly the topic you talked about, uh, developing yeah. a relationship with health inspectors and, and the importance of viewing them as an ally and somebody who wants the same thing we want, uh, not yeah. to develop that adversarial relationship that's kind of easy to do sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this is kind of off topic for Junior Graham Baker, but you know, just on that with health inspectors, you know, Work to be the guy, work to be the company, work to be uh, the woman that the health inspector calls when they have a question. Work to be that asset. If you're a, if you know your stuff as a service professional, as a maintenance guy, as a facility operator, you know, work to be that resource for them too, you know, to where they can call up the Dave's and the Kevin's of the world and say, hey, I got this question, right? And everybody benefits from that. Agreed. Yep. Hey, you had mentioned earlier about the, the specs of the sumps have changed recently. Um, and generally, we, we always go by the rule of thumb of the depth has got to be one and a half times the pipe diameter that's in the that's feeding. It, did, did that change at all and get more stringent or, or that, that's still pretty much the same 
parameters? You know, I think it's pretty well a good, a still good rule of thumb. I'd have to go back and really look at the technical detail. Right. That kind of uh, escapes me a little bit. Um, but I think where the problem becomes is, um, you know, that may be a good rule of thumb and that may have been appropriate prior to 2017, but does that work with every pump, every sump, every cover? You know, that may be the difference. You may have that rule of thumb met, but it still doesn't work, you know, because Dave mentioned a pump change, you know, yeah. or just some of the, uh, the new flow characteristics when you compare this sump with that sump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if they want to go up, go ahead, Dave, I'm sorry. Uh, one, one question that keeps popping up every time VGB is brought up is that, is it only applicable to commercial pools or is there a requirement uh, for residential pools at some point in time to be brought up to this code as well? Hmm. You know, that's a good question. You know, from a, from a MAC, Model Aquatic Health Code standpoint, uh, we only deal with commercial venues. Uh, so we don't delve into to backyard pools at all. I know when you look at the ICC and the um, International Swimming Pool and Spa Code, um, you know, I know they may have some information uh, that may be applicable to backyard pools. But honestly, what I think is happening is that you know, A, the manufacturers, they're not making flat grains anymore. You know, if the manufacturer is building a sump and a cover that's intended for the average backyard pool, more than likely, I would guess it's probably going to be BGB compliant. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense for them not to do that, right? Especially right. since these small covers, you know, you might have a backyard pool cover that's traditionally used for that sump, but it may apply to cover an equalizer line or a skimmer, you know, or a, um, a hydrotherapy jet in a spa, you know. So it doesn't make any, a whole lot of sense. I'm not saying it couldn't, because that's obviously not my wheelhouse. Uh, but every, every home construction I've seen in the last 10 years has included BGB compliant grades. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'll defer to Kevin, you know, on that with his backyard experience. Yeah, it's it really, it's really has to do with the, the um, knowledge and education of the inspector uh, as far as people checking it because we don't deal with the health department on residential and um, so and I find that really most inspectors are they they know you have to split your sections and that's about it that's all they know really know about BGB and they're not checking anything else so yeah yeah but you're pretty much already doing it right Kevin that's yeah yeah no I'm, I'm following all codes and rules Regardless yeah. of if they check them or not, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think one, most builders do, you know. Yeah. yeah one thing absolutely. I've seen, one thing I've seen in the residential world is on the, uh, the more budget conscious remodels, uh, plaster companies are going in and replastering the pool and still leaving a single main drain. They're doing it without pulling permits. And their excuse is, well, you know, VGB doesn't apply. This is a residential pool. But let it be known that that plasterer, whoever is doing that kind of work, and anybody that's servicing that pool that doesn't alert the customer to the danger, if somebody gets hurt in that pool, 
the lawyers are coming after you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And if somebody's kid gets hurt, they don't, they're not messing around. So, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're liable for sure. And there, I just saw, I don't know, it was a pool and spa news. I believe there's an article of, about a contractor back in Connecticut who is facing serious criminal charges because somebody was injured in, in one of his pools. So that, that's that's another potential that you're exposing yourself to if you don't do it right. Yeah. And you know, just kind of speaking to the service guys, you know, and the service companies out there, you know, um, even though it may not be required per se in, in backyard pools, you know, reach out, or not reach out, but reach up, right? Uh, try to hold yourself and your customers to the absolute highest standards. Yes. You know, not only will that in increase the safety for the homeowner, it'll also reduce your, uh, your exposure for litigation. But, you know, just coming to, to where it matters, which is the pocketbook, right? Uh, if you're building your pools, these backyard pools, and you're holding the absolute highest standards, and you're building excellent pools, what, what better marketing? You know, word of mouth is worth much more than any print, any billboard. And if you're building these pools and you know your stuff and that homeowner, that client knows that you know their stuff, there's your marketing. You can't, yeah. you, that, that's free marketing that you cannot beat. And uh, it's a, a surefire way to make sure that you're successful, even in hard times. Yes, agreed, 100%. Yeah. I was going to say too, is that I've had clients who might complain about too many drain covers or they want to change something that goes against BGB for aesthetic value. And I simply just direct them to the Wikipedia page on Virginia Graham Baker and they can read all about it. And it changes people's mind instant, instantly about what it costs. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, with that, with the backyard pool, right, with that homeowner, let's say they don't want to go through the, uh, the financial impact of adding that second drain, that second sump, you know, okay. consider a vacuum relief system, you know, right. that may not be the end all be all, but it's certainly a heck of an improvement over a single drain with no vacuum release. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think to sum up, Dewey, can we just talk again about the call to action is no matter, depending on who it is in the industry. So for builders, I guess for me, Kevin, and you can, maybe I'm wrong here, but it seems like for builders, like you said, once you finish building the pool, you're turning it over and all the manuals and everything to the homeowner. So is there a way for builders to, to do you guys send emails or do you send letters to, to the homeowners of the, of the pools you built to just, just to say, Hey, make sure that, you know, you're checking your cover or is that something builders wouldn't do? I guess what would be the call to action for builders is, is my question. Right. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it depends. I mean, I, I have a handful of clients that I keep in touch with and that, you know, when they have issues, they call me up and for those people, I have a constant, not really constant, but I talk yeah. to them at least once or twice a year, maybe. So it's like, um, but, uh, but sending a letter out seems like a good idea because you have the address of, of the people that you build right. pools for, right, Kevin? Yeah. Sending out a letter maybe, you know? Yeah, I suppose it'd be a good thing to set up that's automated too, or if, if possible, yeah. like a reminder notice. So, um, but that's something I'm going to consider, though. 
Yeah, just thought maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody has a better idea, but I think for pool, backyard builders especially, right. you know, that'd be a way for you to communicate with the homeowner again and say, hey, just, just want to make sure that, you know, it's safe in your backyard and this is what we're doing, you know, I don't know, maybe that's just a thought. Yeah, they, they might be, at that point too, is they might be ready for a replaster, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly, good idea. And then, um, and then once they're notified, then the goal then is for them to pull up their records. They, like you said, they should have an installation certificate. Is that what you were saying, Dewey, or something yes. to say when it expires? And if they can't find that, then they need to have somebody dive the pool and look at the date on the cover itself. Is that yeah. correct? Well, yeah, and, and honestly, if you don't, if you don't know, you just need to change, you know, because yeah. again, you're not going to have a specific date stamped on the cover. It's going to be replaced by. So replace yeah. within seven years of installation. So without gotcha. that documentation, yeah. you, you don't know. So at that yeah. point, you change it. You just change you it. You change it. So then they can hire somebody to come in and change it. Correct. Um, if they don't have a service company already servicing their pool, and my guess is they do, but if they don't, they can contact a service company and, and, and find someone to do that for them and take care of it. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. And for the service guys, Dave, what are we recommending for the service guys? I'm assuming we're recommending that they, the backyard pool service guys, and then we'll talk about the commercial side, but they need to go and check and, and talk to the homeowner. If they don't have those documents themselves, they need to find the documents and make sure the same thing, right? Well, hopefully... Uh, a pool service company uh, who really wants to be professional is doing due diligence when they take over an account. Um, it's it's a great it's a great time to look at everything around that pool that could uh, injure people in the house and cause liability for you. Look for check the soft closing latches on the gates. Check check um, uh, measure the pool. Know your gallonage. Know your flow rate. Um, there's ways to measure that. Uh, the, the, this is all information you need to service the pool properly anyway, but then get down there, either jump in the pool and look or put a camera, a waterproof camera on the end of a pole and get down there and, and look at the drain covers. Um, but do a thorough examination of all of that on the pool. Your homeowner is going to respect your professionalism. You may even be able to charge for the inspection because it's detailed enough and it's worth their while. But if nothing else, you're you're going to have a loyal client, and you are going to know um, that you've got a pool that's safe, and that you don't have to worry about incurring liability. Nice. Yep. Absolutely. And then go ahead, Dave. Do we? No, I'll just I was just reinforcing what Dave said. That's yeah. I mean, that's the that's the way that you build your reputation as a service company. Yes. So. And then for the service companies that are working with semi-public or public pools, then going and talking to the facility director or, or the aquatics director or something and making sure that, you know, looking at the documentation that they have and recommending to them that it be replaced. Um, if, like you said, if they don't know when it was installed or how many years ago that they, that you just make the recommendation to them that they get it replaced. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and just, it's, it's all about, again, it's being proactive. Uh, yeah. to reduce your liability, to reduce downtime, you know, and, and just make sure you have that. And from the service company going into those commercial facilities, right, help them with that, with the, the, the documentation, right, and maintaining that documentation. Uh, yeah. And then make sure that it's redundant as well. What, with CMAC, right, our tagline is driven by your expertise, right? The key is there is your uh, we have a very open process for 
uh, reviewing and updating the MAC. But we need your help, right? We need the industry. Uh, we have great participation from public health. We have great participation from the aquatic sector. But one thing that we realized last year in 2020 is that we were under, we, we had underrepresentation from the service sector, right? So we've actually created a, a new uh, membership category for service professionals. Uh, so, mm. you know, please check us out uh, at cmac.org uh, and consider joining. Uh, it's only $90 that buys you a three-year membership. Um, that allows you to, when it's time for the next triennial, to uh, input or, or provide input on the MAC, to make comments, to vote, most importantly, uh, on what the fifth edition will look like uh, in 2024. Um, and we're also working on things that for education, we're working on a lot of really, really cool stuff uh, to kind of elevate us to the next step and really do what we want to do, which is provide support to the industry. Uh, you know, our, yeah. our main goal is updating, maintaining the Mac uh, and, and helping CDC with that. But, you know, we're, we're pool people. Um, you know, myself, I'm an old pool guy from long ago, 25 plus years. Uh, our executive director has a long history of managing facilities and is extremely knowledgeable. And we care about the industry. Um, and not just public health, not just the large manufacturers, but the days and the Kevins out there that spend their day in, day out servicing pools, right? We need your input. We need your help, your support. So please consider joining CMAC today. Where do we go Absolutely. to do that? CMAC.org. Yes. Do you guys still do your annual, your biannual conference or didn't you, weren't you doing a, a conference of the Model Aquatic Health Code every other year or something? Yep, it, we switched it to every three years in 2018, and we oh, okay. actually, yep, we actually just finished uh, in October. Uh, we had our conference and subsequent vote. We had 530 change requests uh, submitted for oh the my gosh. Yes, it's an awful lot, but again, this was submitted by y'all, right? This was submitted by the industry, the uh, the health officials, the facility operators, the service guys. Right, service folks. Um, so 530 change requests, uh, about 61% uh, were adopted by membership and recommended for membership. Uh, the board of directors looked at a few and, and decided that that didn't really uh, meet what the MAC was about uh, and, and didn't think it was a good choice. Um, so the board overturned about seven votes out of 326, which is a really, really good number. Um, yes. And traditionally, CDC overturns themselves around 7%, 5 to 7%. So we think that with, with this, CDC will probably accept 95 plus percent of all the change requests. So they're going to accept Very nice. a lot. Yeah. So really, really good work. It's a ton of work, but it's good work. Uh, and again, this is your input. Right, to help improve the Mac and help make it better. Fantastic. That's great. Thanks so much, Dewey, for coming on today. I think this is a really important topic, and I think anything we can do to make people safer in their pools and in their backyard environments or when they go to a commercial facility is so important. And we, like I said, if we do it together as a team, uh, making sure that these 
cut these covers are um, replaced. And then like Dave said, really checking everything to making sure that it, that it was done correctly the, the first time. Cause it was really pushed through quickly at the time and uh, people were confused and you know, there were certain manufacturers trying to get covers out. And then there, like, like I said before, uh, there were some recall covers. So there was a lot of confusion at that time. So let's go back and make sure that everything was done correctly. And if you want to learn more about what the CMAC does, you can go to cmac.org and learn about becoming a member or just find out what they're doing for the swimming pool industry. Dewey, thank you so much for coming on. We truly appreciate it. Thanks for trying to keep us all safer and um, away from litigation and all those types of things you guys are doing for us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Kevin Day. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, thank Dewey. You. Thank you all. A new voice in the industry, a resource for all, education for you. This is Pool Pro Podcast. Build relationships and share important news as we get ready for our next backyard adventure. Pool Pro Podcast, backyard adventures are better together. Please take a moment to share, like, and review our content with all of those that would be interested.